Welcome to the I Dare You podcast by United Against Human Trafficking. I'm your host, Elaine Andino, and we believe that together we can end exploitation. Today we are talking about trauma, specifically relating to childhood trauma and how that intersects with exploitation. Today my guest is Sarah Jane Brewer. She is our education coordinator here at UAHT and spends a lot of time studying and teaching community members the links between trauma, vulnerabilities, and human trafficking. Welcome to the show, Sarah Jane. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here. We're happy to have you here too, Sarah. Could you tell us a little bit about your work here at UEHT and how you originally decided you wanted to get involved in the fight to end human trafficking? Yeah, I found out about human trafficking in 2008. I was in high school. I was learning about different social justice issues, and I learned about human trafficking through reading Kevin Bale's book, Not For Sale. Mm. and In that moment, I thought, this is the biggest human rights issue that there is, and I want to do whatever I can to stop it. So I went to school, majored in international relations. I started getting into nonprofit work and after college volunteering with different anti-trafficking agencies, really hoping to work in anti-trafficking full-time. And when... UAHT posted the education specialist position. It was just so perfect. So I got that position in January of 2020. And in that role, I give presentations. I coordinate with a lot of other organizations to bring different presentations and training. And I have this great balance of structure and creativity where I get to do new projects surrounding human trafficking with the research that I do and finding out different trends and new information that is important to share with the community. Yeah, I love that. And I actually didn't realize we had kind of a similar story. I learned about human trafficking right out of college and Kevin Bales was one of my very first books that I read and was just kind of blown away. And that sort of solidified for me too, like, okay, no, I'm going to be involved in this fight. I had the same reaction, like, oh, this is the biggest social justice issue we're dealing with. And of course, it intersects with lots of social justice issues as we have come to learn. So I can identify with that very strongly. As far as our conversation today, you know, we work at an organization where we really value being trauma-informed, survivor-informed, and understanding our clients, not only where they come from and what has marginalized them or created vulnerabilities that have put them at risk for being trafficked, but then also what it's like for them as they're rebuilding their lives. And we've seen a huge intersection with the issue of how our brains process information and trauma. So I'd love for us to talk a little bit about trauma today, because I think that's something that listeners are just becoming exposed to and understanding how our past shapes the way that we process and then what causes us to be vulnerable. So could you start us off and just talk to us for a minute about what trauma is, how that affects our brains? Yeah, everybody experiences trauma, right? No one goes through this life unscathed. There's different kinds of trauma, right? There's a Mm -hmm. traumatic incident that happens once and then it's done, like a car accident. Mm -hmm. And then there are other situations in which we are perpetually being traumatized. Mm -hmm. So, for example, if you are in a car crash, there's that adrenaline rush, there's Mm -hmm. that trauma response, and then it ends and you're able to recover However, if you are involved in an abusive relationship and you are constantly being gaslit or physically abused or sexually abused, you're constantly Mm -hmm. being traumatized. 
So trauma changes our brain. I'm not a doctor or a scientist. I'm not going to give the most technical (laughs) explanation of the trauma response in the brain. But what happens is when we are faced with this traumatic incident, cortisol is released. Mm -hmm. It's the stress hormone. And we go into fight, flight, or freeze mode. And normally the traumatic event ends and our brain kind of snaps back into that nourishing, taking care of us, Mm -hmm. um, you know, neutral kind of mode. However, when we're in those traumatic situations that are continual over an extended period of time, then our brain is constantly in that trauma response, fight, flight, freeze mode, and doesn't have that ability to snap back into our normal reaction state. So as a result of that, the Mm -hmm. brain chemistry changes, and Mm -hmm. it may change how we behave how we perceive people, how we interact with people, how we interact with the world. Mm -hmm. And obviously we see a lot of intersections, you know, talking about human trafficking, it is a conversation about how people are traumatized to this extreme degree. And we've also seen a lot of correlations with people who have a high number of ACEs who Mm -hmm. end up being trafficked. And could you give me a little bit more information about ACEs? Yeah, ACEs stands for Adverse Childhood Experiences, Mm -hmm. and this was a study done by Kaiser Permanente in the Mm mid-90s. And essentially what they found is that people who have experienced Adverse Childhood Experiences, that puts them at a higher likelihood of having adverse health effects later in life. Mm So there are 10 adverse childhood experiences total that were included in this study. Mm -hmm. And they include things like having a parent absent from the home, Mm -hmm. not having your basic needs met, so some level of neglect, having a parent that suffers from mental illness, a parent that is incarcerated, um, experiencing childhood abuse, childhood Mm -hmm. sexual abuse. And so the more... ACEs somebody experiences, the more likely they are to have these adverse health effects later on, Mm -hmm. such as smoking cigarettes, addiction, diabetes. And in studies connecting survivors with the adverse childhood experiences that they've had, a lot of them have had six or more childhood sexual abuse being that number one indicator that they may be trafficked. And what I think is super interesting about the different ACEs is there's some that are related to socioeconomic status, but really most of them are not related to socioeconomic status. It's things that we could all face, whether what race we are, what socioeconomic status we were, we can all really be affected by severe trauma that can create us in a position where we're more marginalized or more vulnerable to abusers or traffickers. So we're not inoculated, you know, based upon like where we live or anything of that nature. Yeah, absolutely. And if you go onto the CDC website and look up ACEs, they have a lot of information where you can take the quiz and learn a little bit more about adverse childhood experiences, overcoming trauma. And it also connects to those social determinants of health. So yes, those ACEs aren't necessarily correlated with a certain socioeconomic status, Mm -hmm. but people who come from communities that have less support, we're more likely to see those ACEs and those social determinants. Compounded. Yes, Mm -hmm. absolutely. Well, let's talk a little bit about the intersection between ACEs and human trafficking. And I think people might be wondering, like, how would a trafficker even know if somebody has a high level of ACEs or trauma? Like, what are some of the things that traffickers pick up on and can recognize vulnerability? 
traffickers are master manipulators. Right. You know, we don't go around wearing our ACE score and our trauma on our back, but we can wear it on our face and we can post about it on social media. You know, whenever we post on social media and say that we're overcoming a lot or we're dealing with a lot, we need to have our basic needs met, we're feeling upset, we're feeling lonely, traffickers can see all of that on social media and it also gives them access to contact us directly. And as far as in person, traffickers are experts on reading people, on manipulating people. A lot of survivors and former traffickers have said that a trafficker can be really charming and is a people person and is easy to talk to. So some of these tangible signs that a trafficker might be able to pick up on if they see someone in person is if someone has low self-esteem, they look socially isolated. As I mentioned before, our behavior may change depending on the trauma that we've experienced. Mm -hmm. So say someone goes through this trauma and they are withdrawn, they're depressed, they're anxious, they're lonely because they've been neglected in their childhood or whatever the reason may be. Traffickers can see these things, people Mm -hmm. who have low self-esteem, and they know that that is a person that is going to talk to them that is more likely to need support, basic needs, or love and friendship. Yeah, that reminds me of a story that I heard one time from a police officer in Virginia. We were partnering with him to fight human trafficking. He worked with lots and lots of human trafficking victims. And he said that it was really common for traffickers to hang out in malls and see groups of kids, you know, walking around, you know, just kind of hanging out as we all did. They would often walk up to a group of girls and maybe say, like, oh, you guys are all so beautiful. And the ones that would just kind of have their head up and be like, thank you so much, they didn't even bother with them. But the ones that, like, dropped their head, maybe half smile, just all of those body languages that we see in people, but we don't really we don't look at it the same way that a trafficker would look at it, they would immediately know, oh, that's the person that I need to talk to. That's the person that needs me. And they, as you said, were just masters at reading people and understanding like how to create those bonds and how to exploit, you know, their own perception of themselves or their own trauma that they were experiencing. It's amazing how, you know, maybe if they were using their power for good, they could be really good counselors, (laughs) (laughs) but they're not. Um, And so how they exploit that. Let's talk a little bit more as they build that relationship with the victims that they've identified. How are traffickers creating those bonds, deeply exploiting the trauma their victims have experienced? Traffickers, when they start that process of noticing that someone is vulnerable, someone has low self-esteem, someone might need to have some physical or social emotional need met, they start talking to that person and finding out, you know, a trafficking situation doesn't start with, a trafficker coming up to someone saying, hey, get in my car, you're going to make me some money. It starts with them talking to them and finding out, hey, tell me about your family. Mm -hmm. Tell me about your parents. Tell me about your life. And especially if somebody is desperate, doesn't have a support system, doesn't feel loved and supported, they might pour their heart out to this person that is finally noticing them and taking interest in them. Mm -hmm. And they might say to them, Yeah, I experienced abuse when I was a kid and my father used to, you know, physically abuse us and I always wanted to win his approval. 
and talking about all, all of these traumatic things that they've experienced. And then a trafficker will take that information and the process goes, they'll start to provide them with those basic needs. Maybe it's love, maybe it's a romantic relationship, maybe it's financial needs, here's a place to sleep, here's food to eat, all of your basic needs are met, you don't have to worry about anything. But also they use what they learned about that person's past against Mm -hmm. them so they know that this person that mentioned that I've been physically or sexually assaulted is used to being in a situation where people that they love physically hurt them. And they also crave approval. So now they know that they can start using physical violence to intimidate this person, keep them under their control, and they're not necessarily going to leave because that's something that they're used to. Right. And also the traffickers praising them, saying, oh, yeah, you've done daddy proud Mm -hmm. or things like that. They know that that will trigger something deep in that victim seeking that approval and that love. Wow. That's just incredible. Let's dig into that because Mm -hmm. it's just pretty incredible how those bonds can be created. And that helps kind of answer the question that we get a lot of times from people on why don't they just leave? And that's often something that we're addressing with people who hear about human trafficking. They're rightfully enraged. They want to help out. So then the next questions that we get a lot of times are, why don't they just leave? And then if somebody does get out of the life, they've gone back to it. That's something that's really hard because we would all have a hard time understanding why you would go back to something like that. Um, But what you're talking about really sort of creates that context for it. They're filling a need that they haven't gotten before or they think it's normal. They don't know that life can be different. Most people can relate to being in a toxic relationship where you know that maybe there's something better. Maybe this person Mm -hmm. isn't treating you right but you love them, there are ways that they take care of you, and there have been good times with this person, and that keeps you in that relationship even though you know it's unhealthy. And that's a person who maybe hasn't experienced as much trauma can still kind of relate to that. So when we compound the trauma response, the changes in the brain, and people who have socioeconomic disadvantages and all of these factors that really contribute to their vulnerabilities in being trafficked, when you take all of that, it just makes leaving and starting new so much harder and a much more daunting task. Right. We've even heard from survivors who have said trafficking was the least bad thing that happened to me Mm. when they talked about the families that they came from and the other things that they experienced having this trafficker who took care of their basic needs and provided them with a sense of love and family was better than where they were at before. That's a harsh reality that a lot of them have lived. So, you know, we've talked about trauma and ACEs and the intersection with trafficking and then how that can affect our brain. But let's talk about the rebuilding our lives part. So, As you know, here at United Against Human Trafficking, we have a whole case management program, right? Because we believe that you can rebuild our lives, that we can heal from our trauma, Mm -hmm. we can heal from our past. Can you speak a little bit to what it's like for us as we're moving away from trafficking and rebuilding our lives? When someone's coming out of a trafficking situation, that can be such an incredibly daunting thing, the idea of starting your life from scratch. I mean, anybody who's kind of had to start over in any sense Mm -hmm. The whole process of getting a job, you know, getting your degree, graduating from college, getting a home, all of those things, even 
when you have the support system of family and friends can be difficult on their own. But if you take, in addition to that, someone has experienced trauma, so they're coping with recovering from that trauma, which in itself is an incredibly difficult and heavy thing to do. And on top of that, maybe this person didn't doesn't have a degree. Maybe they didn't finish high school. Maybe mm-hmm. they feel that they don't have any job skills that they can put on a resume. They don't even know, you know, if this trafficker was the one who was providing their food and paying the bills and all of these things. They may not know these basic life skills, budgeting, setting up your utilities, cooking food for yourself. Mm -hmm. That's another reason that people are scared to leave a trafficking situation because the idea of learning how to do all of that from scratch is just incredibly scary. So I am so grateful for our case management program. I'm lucky enough to work alongside our case manager and see some of the amazing work that she does. And I know that we've been talking a lot about how people are disadvantaged and go through trauma and how that can hurt people. But the thing that really stands out to me about survivors of trafficking is they are the most resilient people on the planet. They really are. They really are. And the good news is that our brain constantly can create new neural pathways and constantly learn how to live life differently. And it takes some time and it takes some time away from the traumatic situation um, and to be surrounded by people who care and are offering that support to help us as we're kind of relearning all these life skills that you talked about that they haven't had to. And the brain, the more I read about it, it's just fascinating to me about what kind of things shape our brain and then how it can constantly be evolving and healing and growing because 30 years ago we had no idea that that was even possible we just kind of thought what you've got is what you got and Mm -hmm. you know great job for the ones that have lots of intelligence and have come from a really good background we're really sorry for those of you who haven't but now we know that that's just not the case and we really can rebuild our lives I really appreciate you sharing all of this. I think it is super vital for not only those of us who are in this movement to really understand the intersection between trauma and ACEs and trafficking, but really those who are wanting to get involved and help and learn more about this issue. So I think a great way that people can get involved to help is on the prevention side, the mentoring and working with people who potentially are at risk for ACEs or trauma. What are some of the ideas that you think of that people could do to really help people? The good news about us knowing about the social determinants of health and adverse childhood experiences and how communities can be more vulnerable to trafficking Mm -hmm. is that we can be mentors. We can support communities like this. We can support our own communities because no one is immune to trafficking. You can volunteer with big brothers, big sisters. You Mm -hmm. can become a court-appointed special advocate. You can volunteer with youth-serving organizations within your community and lend your time, lend your expertise. You know, Mm -hmm. if young people have that that support system that they can look to as an adult that they trust, who's healthy, that can give them that support system and encourages them. It raises their Mm self-esteem. And as we know, that can make all the difference in a trafficker deciding to groom them or leave them alone. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with all of that. And then even I would just add as a parent, I know for me, it's really important that I'm talking to my kids, not only about healthy relationships and unhealthy relationships, and of course, building their skills on that, but 
my kids are going to go through difficult things in life. And so teaching them how to process difficult things, like we know little T and big T. So how to process little T traumas, or if they go through a big T trauma, how they can overcome that, which those are the things that just create resilience in all of us. And so when we do have somebody who could be an abuser or a trafficker comes our way, we've built up kind of that internal resilience and that language to be able to process. This is such awesome information, Sarah Jane. Thank you so much for being here. And for our listeners, if you have a chance, figure out ways that you could be a mentor, as Sarah Jane mentioned, to other kids. And whether it's in your church, it's in, you know, local community, um, whatever coaching is a great way, but really just building those relationships with kids who are at risk um, and even the kids that you think aren't at risk because we don't know everybody's stories and then of course spending time with your own children so if you've had a chance to talk to your kids um, this coming week about trauma or about healthy relationships or unhealthy relationships or if you find new ways to mentor and kind of be that prevention um, we would love to know about it so you can find us on all major social media platforms or feel free to shoot us an email at podcast at uht.org <laughs>